Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today I interview Chris Reed, Director of BGC Accountants and Business Advisors for the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Chris has an amazing story of how he set up an offshore team with great technology to run a business remotely. This meant he could achieve a dream of moving with his family to live in Vietnam for 12 months. If you would like to know how to grow a firm while getting some life back into your work balance, make sure you tune into this episode. Welcome to the podcast today, Chris. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. To get started, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and your firm. Yeah, we're a Melbourne-based firm. Um, So we're in Ball in the eastern suburbs. Uh, We've got uh, a team of seven here, but that does include three uh, partners, myself and two others. Uh, We've also got a team in the Philippines, in Clark. I've got six over there. Um, so I guess the makeup of the team over in the Philippines, we've got three accountants, uh, we've got a marketing guy, we've got a, a one general admin person, and we've got a financial planning support person as well. So our practice, um, obviously accounting and tax uh, traditionally, but we've also got a financial planning. Uh, we do a lot in S- the SMSF space. Uh, we've got a couple of other little niche areas with uh, property developers and real estate agents. Uh, yeah, we also do do a little bit of lending, so fairly broad range of financial services um, and of what we offer, and I guess that reflects the makeup of the team over there in the Philippines as well. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and Chris, I know that for the last 12 months, um, you've probably done what a lot of accountants aspire to do. You've actually worked um, or moved out of Australia for 12 months and moved over to Vietnam. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that experience? Um, what motivated you to, to, to move to Vietnam? How long you stayed there and, and how the running of your overall business went um, working remotely in another country that's not in the Philippines where your team are, not in Melbourne where the rest of your team are. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it was an awesome experience. Uh, we, it was something we just wanted to do personally as a family. Um, my wife lived as an expat when, when she was young with her family. Um, so, and we, we've always loved travel. So as you travel, as a lot of people do, you go to a lot of places and say, oh, geez, we'd like to live here. So we made it happen. Um, it was a little bit of a journey business-wise, just uh, getting everything um, I guess the business to evolve with technology and the offshore team to allow that sort of remote working. Uh, we're not sort of talking a day a week from home or anything. It was a, a fairly big shift. But um, in terms of a, a personal experience and a, an experience for our family, it was absolutely awesome. Um, business-wise, uh, the technology makes working remotely, whether it's from home one day a week or in another country, very, very easy. So uh, the, the key for us there was being in the cloud. Uh, we have had no servers in our business for about four years. Uh, we've been 100% in the cloud. So obviously using all the, the software and the apps that allow you to do that. Um, and really, as long as you've got a, a half decent internet connection, you can work from anywhere in those circumstances. Um, we've got uh, our phone lines uh, uh, VoIP, so running through the internet. So uh, people could call the office and effectively be be transferred through to me sitting over in Vietnam um, and a lot of people 
didn't even realise I was talking to them from Vietnam. They assumed I'd come home for some reason. I was, and I was in the office, uh, obviously emails um, and using your your video conferencing stuff, whether it's Skype for business or join me or or, or whatever apps you're going to use there. So the technology plays it plays a crucial role as well, and. Um, Apart from that, it was reasonably easy just to liaise between the teams. Um, yeah, the, probably the only downside is you don't get to see clients face to face, which is probably the only negative to it. But most clients are comfortable with that. Uh, they already know you. They already trust you. Um, a little bit more difficult to build rapport with, with new clients. Um, but in terms of the functioning of the business, um, yeah, we really didn't skip a beat. Yeah, I mean... Fascinating story of obviously a, a practice um, in yours, and you must be congratulating setting up a firm that's got the technology to enable you to do that, and also having a global team that can work seamlessly um, across time zones across countries. So, um, quick. Uh, so obviously we'll move into um, today. We're talking around obviously um, how you've been able to set up your offshore team, how it's how it's been integrated with your overall business offering. So tell us tell us a little bit about how you went about getting an offshore team set up. What was the process? How long did it take? And what was the main drivers for wanting to even go down this path? Yeah, I think uh, we'll start with the main drivers. Um, we really just wanted um, resources and reliability um, with with being able to deliver our services to our clients. Um, as you know, I speak to obviously a lot of other accounting firms and there's real, there's always an ongoing struggle with um staff and getting you know getting graduates in training them up and whether they're no good or they leave and all this sort of stuff so um yeah i guess it was out of a frustration of of doing that for for quite a number of years that sort of led us to to looking for alternatives uh in terms of i guess arriving at where we are today uh with a with a full team sitting over in the philippines um it really was a journey um so we probably started exploring this about five years ago and we looked at and probably tried most of the different uh, models and ways of doing it out there. Um, you know, we've used the uh, we used a freelance virtual assistant um, for a while. There's websites where you can grab one of those from. We used the the Fibers and Odesk. I think Odesk changed its name now, but those types of um, service offerings for various tasks. And of course, as a lot of other accounting firms do, we also outsource to local. Australian bookkeepers as well, trying to get them into to do a bit of the, the low end work and everything as well. Yeah, work to varying degrees of success, but not not to where we wanted it to be. And um, we did actually then, after probably a, uh, I'd say six to nine months of, of playing around with all of those, we actually engaged with an outsourcing firm um, to handle our SMSF. So we started with the SMSF stuff. And these guys were in a country where the language was an issue. Um, and also there was no dedicated team. We didn't have our own team that we could directly train. You just sent the job over, they did it, they sent it back. Um, if there was problems with it, you sort of had to go back through a manager who spoke a little bit of English and passed it into the team. So it was very, it was very cumbersome. We did have some success with that, um, with the SMSFs, but when we tried to expand that into other areas of work, um, financial statements and uh, you know, tax return preparation, that sort of stuff, it, it really fell down um, there. So that sort of came to an end um, probably, probably be over three years ago now, and that's when... Um, yeah, we, we came on board with with uh, with you guys. Um, I know Nick we'd spoken a couple of times at various 
road shows and that sort of stuff. So yeah, when that that particular arrangement fell over, yeah, we just jumped on the phone and um, I, I can't remember the time frame, but it was very very short. It might have been two to three weeks, maybe. You know, we'd already we'd interviewed some candidates and and appointed them, and and we we're up and running. And then from from there, the team grew reasonably quickly in that first little period because what you find is once you do that and you're really analysing your business, you're, you're always looking about, okay, well, what else can these guys do? What else can these guys do? What other roles can we get over there? So, yeah, we grew to six really, really quickly uh, in that first sort of 12 to 15-month period. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? Um, what would be the three most critical things that, that you would spend time on if you had to do this again um, or for anyone looking to actually set up an offshore team? Uh, I think your systems and your processes is probably the first thing. And that for us, by the time we had an offshore team, we already had all that in place. So it was a focus of our business anyway. But um, because of the nature of, of the way the guys work over there. Um, they are very, very focused on following a process and following systems. So effectively, if you throw rubbish over, it's, it's not going to happen and, and the job just comes back magically and it's perfect. So it's really about making sure that the whole practice works to the systems and procedures. Um, you can't have um, one partner or one senior accountant who does it this way and another one who does it that way, another one who does it this way, because there's there's all these different types of jobs coming at the guys over there and they just they just get confused. And you know, that lays out to the Australian team as well. Sometimes you sit here and scratch your head and say, well, you know, maybe if we had been doing it this diligently when we did try and uh, train our graduates, it, we would have had a better result. Yeah, so that systems and processes and, and procedures, building those and developing those to fit in with a two-office situation, which is effectively what it is, and making sure that the whole practice offshore and Australian team sticks to those systems and procedures and, and all the workflow goes goes through the practice using the same system. That would Wonderful. be the first one for sure. Uh, use of technology. Use, yeah, yeah, I was just about to ask you that one. How's technology played into, um, obviously, the setup of the offshore team? I think the more you can utilise that technology, I was, I was going to say sort of push the envelope with it, but um, we're what they call early adopters. Um, so we're keen to jump on anything that looks like it It might you know, make things easier, gain us a little bit of efficiency or whatever it is. So yeah, being for us, having no servers and being in the cloud, um, obviously everything's at everyone's fingertips, but then it's just exploring all the different bits of software and all the different apps that are available and, and seeing how that they might be useful or they might work. Um, obviously, you know, you want to have all your little bits of software integrated as much as, as they can be. You know, I still do speak to a lot of guys who have done the offshoring and still got the servers and obviously there's a login and all that sort of stuff. We found that clunky, but I'm, you know, obviously it works, it works for others. So you've got to find what fits for your practice. Being able to, to move with the technology um, because it evolves so quickly as well. What's what's great today in, in a year or two years' time, there'll be something else that'll be worth exploring. So, And I think that's the great thing with where things are at with all the cloud software and everything is much, much easier to switch if you want it to switch softwares or, or bring in a new tool and use that. So, yeah, the, the technology is critical, absolutely critical to, to be able to use um, with your offshore team. Great. And if you had a word to describe the value your offshore team provides to um, your business BGC, what would it be? 
probably irreplaceable now because um, we've been doing it for so long. They are they are just a part of our business. And whilst we've got you know a team over there, we still it's still one business, and we try and view it as it's two offices. So effectively, overall, we've got thirteen people. So if we lost the offshore team now. That's six people walking out of our business. So that would be an absolute disaster for any business. So because of the work we've done with them, trained them up, and they are actually built into our practice, they're not they're not a team that's just sitting over there and, oh, I need this done, I'll just flick it over and it'll come back. It's not a piecemeal approach. It's a, it's a whole team approach for us. So we, we really can't remove those that team from our practice now. Okay. And how has your local team taken, obviously, the addition of having a global um, office or a global team? And how has it helped them with their career paths? Obviously, you're three partners, um, so obviously three senior staff, but how has the rest of the team taken it? Um, and how is it helping their career progression as opposed to what work they would have had to have been doing if you didn't have this team? Well, in terms of how they take it, well, that's just the way it is here. That's, that's our business and that's our team. In that position period when we were shifting, um, yeah, we had a little bit of uh, turnover from the Australian staff, those who, who weren't on board with it and who didn't like it for whatever reason. And at the end of the day, you know, our business was going in that direction. So they moved on or were moved on in some circumstances. So, yeah, I guess that change process is is one thing that has to be managed when you are shifting to this. But you sort of focus on where you're trying to get to and you get the right people in here. But, you know, now that it is a part of our business, anyone that works here, they... It's not even a discussion point. It's just this is just our business. We've got two offices, and that's 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 all there is to it. Yeah, you know, I think in terms of the the career paths and for the local team, because we've got the offshore support, everyone here does much much higher levels of work than previously they would have done, and they are able to pursue areas of interest. So if someone's got an interest in SMSF, then we can go and build them up in their, that area or move into financial planning or whatever it is. So it's a lot more scope and flexibility that we've got with our Australian team. And because most of the low-end tasks and all the mundane and the boring stuff is offshored, um, yeah, I think it, it, everyone's really enjoying their role here. There's a lot more work satisfaction that you're able to give to your Australian team um, just because of the, the types of, of work they're able to do, the higher level stuff, more consulting, whatever it is that you, you're building your business into, able to, to bring the, the Australian team along with you. And, you know, it's refreshing from a, from a partner level as well because all of a sudden you're freeing yourself up from all this other stuff that ties you there. So then all of a sudden you're doing the stuff that you, you really love doing. Um, you know, for me, it's a lot of presenting. It's out having meetings with clients. It's, it's really high-end specialist-type work um, and you avoid anything else because the team can handle it for you. Yeah, fantastic. So would you say that this, um, by building an offshore team, it's given um, your business and yourself personally more time? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's bewildering the amount of time it, um, it actually frees up and it continues to grow because as your team grows and as your systems get better, once again, technology, I keep coming back to technology, but a lot of automation helps out as well. It just, it really frees up time and you can focus on stuff that's really, really important to the practice and focus on the long-term type issues rather than getting always, you know, caught back and sucked back into, to, you know, what needs to be done today or this week and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And without going through, obviously, figures, have you seen the profitability of your firm since implementing this increase? 
and have a does offshoring have a, a an effect on that profitability? Oh, through the roof. Um, yeah, and it's not just um, the cost of the team. I mean, that, that's well, that's one component of it. Um, but we sort of always say that the the, the cost savings your offshore offshore team are a benefit of offshoring. It, should, it shouldn't be the reason that you're going to offshore, but it, it, it is agree. one of the benefits. But the other flow-on effect is that all of a sudden your team in Australia might be smaller, so you need less office space. Uh, you're saving on rent. Um, for us, getting rid of our servers saves. Uh, we, we did the numbers the other day. I think it was about 30 grand a year having no servers. By the time you pay some IT support to run them for you, plus you're replacing a server every second or third year. So cost savings there. Um, it just It's a real knock-on effect. And because you've also freed up all that time, you're able to, to pursue the, the high-end work and the stuff that you can you can charge a lot for. Uh, we don't charge by the hour. We, we do all, all our engagements are upfront pricing. So when we are able to, to sit down and, and get into a really a really good assignment with a client that's going to add a ton of value to them, we can price that accordingly. So um, all of a sudden, the, the profitability per job goes up as well. Yeah, it is a real knock-on effect. Um, and yeah, y- your profit margins just just uh, explode once you get it sort of, once you get up and running and get it bedded in. It won't happen in the first month or probably the, the first year or so. Um, yep. but, but once you get a bit of momentum with it and you get all those flow-on effects, it makes a massive difference uh, to your business. Yeah, wonderful. So obviously there's a lot of myths about offshoring um, and building an offshore team. What are the myths that you were concerned about before you started? And has there been anything else that surprised you along the journey? Um, I think, look, I I guess you hear a few myths or whatever from other practitioners. Um, Most of those are sort of around probably trust issues and security of data and all that type of thing. Um, But uh, I don't know you guys say it a lot as well and, and I absolutely agree with it is the the security that the Filipino office have has over there is more than tenfold what we've got in our Australian office um, in terms of security cameras the monitoring of staff and um, you know no USB sticks in the computers and you know you think of all the things you know security guards at your present uh, premises and um, whereas you know, you look if you applied that to the Australian staff. Well, any one of my staff could walk in here with a with a hard drive and download a heap of data and and go nuts on it. So, um, yeah, the, the security stuff we dismissed reasonably quickly, but I do hear it from from other people who are tossing it up. And look, I think. Um, yeah, there was, there was no real surprises in the end because of the journey we took to get there because we'd explored all those options and dabbled in a few areas. By the time we sort of got to building our, our own team, we didn't really get hit with any anything out of the blue. Probably the, the biggest thing that does, and it continues to surprise you, is how, how quickly you can evolve it and the amount of things you can keep moving offshore. And, and it really is a never-ending process. It's, it's just never done. It's, it's always, okay, well... You know, to the Australian team, well, why why are we doing that here? Couldn't that be done over there? And and you keep moving stuff off, which is you know, and that's why our our team over there is, it will continue to grow. Excellent. So talking about growing the year ahead, what's the plan with your offshore team? Um, how do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability, and their performance? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things we did in the second half of last year with them was um, start to to work on career planning for them. And because because we've got a few of them there that have been with us a long time. 
we, we want to try and lock them in for, for a longer term, but also we want to start to build them up and groom them into leadership roles so that uh, as we add new team members, a, a certain amount of the training that gets done can actually be done by the leaders over in the Philippines. Um, so, so build a real um, team structure around those core um, people who have been with us. Um, so that's um, we, where we commenced on that path in the second half of last year and we'll finish it off in the next couple of months. And then that will be an ongoing process for us as well in terms of continuing to build their, not just their technical capabilities and their ability to do certain tasks and, and service clients. I mean, that's very important, but also expanding their cap capabilities, leadership, communication, uh, all those types of things, which is exactly what you do with, with your key Australian staff. So we want to make sure that we're, we're replicating with the Filipino team and effectively treating them the same as we we treat any other team member. Yeah, and I think that's a big key point because a lot of people, um, Chris, we find when they go on the journey, um, they do treat it not like their own team initially at the start. And, and once they go through the process and they understand it's just another office in another location. And if we can implement our culture and our policies and our same mentality as we do to our local team, then obviously we're going to get a lot better results and be able to get them up doing high level work a lot sooner. Um, so, you know, there's a direct correlation with our clients that are making it succeed and the effort they're putting into it. So look, one of the, um, my next question to you is recommendations for our listeners. What are some of the, um, of your top don't do's? So in managing an offshore team, what would be the thing you'd say um, not to do? Um, probably not to do would be probably not committing fully. So I think having that mentality of oh, I'll just I'll grab a couple of cheap accountants and you know flick some work over to them because I'm snowed under or I want to save some costs. Um, yeah, you, you, you can't have that sort of attitude. You've, you've got to really commit to it that you are building a team. And this is a long-term strategy for, for your business. And look, there'll, there'll be some issues along the way that you'll have to work through and, uh, and there'll be some stressful times in the initial phases as you get up and running and you fine-tune your procedures and you train people and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I reckon the biggest mistake is not committing to it fully. So that, that's probably number one. And the second one would be around getting your Australian team on board. Yeah, I, I have, you know, and some of the other practitioners who have dabbled in it and then it hasn't worked and they've, you know, they obviously complain about it a lot. Probably the two biggest mistakes they make is not committing to it fully and secondly, not getting their Australian team on board. Because um, if, if you've got the wrong people here trying to train um, the team over there, potentially sort of sabotage, you know, subtly sabotaging the project, probably not deliberately, but if, if the Australian team's not committed to it as well, very, very difficult to get it up and get it running smoothly. Yeah, agree. And we see that with our clients, the ones that are making it work and succeeding, the ones that are directly investing their time and effort to treat it like it is their part of their business as opposed to just someone they're going to send work to and hoping to get it back. And we have, you know, some real correlations around that. We wrote an ebook last year, a hundred page ebook on on how to build a, a global team and the things that successful firms like yourself, Chris, are doing and and what you're investing to get it up and running. Um, and then the results obviously come after all of that hard work. So look, a question that's the opposite to that. What would be your recommendations for some of the things that people that are looking at offshoring um, and managing an offshore team should do? Don't worry about any potential negative reaction. Yeah, a lot of times, 
And look, we, we, we did this in the early stages. Well, you procrastinate a little bit. Oh, should we do this? Should we not do it? Or, you know, what will clients think? What will this? What, what about this? What about this? Um, I think you've just got to bite, bite the bullet and make the decision. Um, and then really you just got to do what needs to be done. Um, focus on building and effectively rebuilding the type of business that you want how you want it to run, how's the work going to flow. And also as a part of that is building the role that you as a as an owner or a partner in the business want. Um, so what sort of you know, work do you want to be doing? It's your business. You can build it to be whatever you like. Um, and often I think the offshoring is a real catalyst to go through that change process where you can really get yourself away from behind the desk and I guess doing the, the traditional accounting role of chargeable hours and get this work out the door and all that sort of stuff, really um, rebuilding that role to, to what is it that you want, what areas of specialty interest you, what types of clients do you like to work with, are you in a niche market, all those types of things, yeah, you can really get stuck in and, and um, create that for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the phrase building business by design as opposed to by default. And, you know, the amount of accountants that we talk to in the industry at different events and that, there's so many of them that are just working excessive hours and just, you know, fighting the fight when they could just make their business by design and, and have a completely different lifestyle. If if they made some harder choices and went through some pain with technology and changing that and obviously building a global workforce and, you know, building out the business so that it's not relying on them. I think sometimes, you know, some of the accounts we talk to, as much as they say they don't like working the long hours, I think that if they weren't working it, they wouldn't know what to do so um right, yeah, exactly of, right. that, that lifestyle thing is you know we have spoke about uh, our year in vietnam but those are the types of things you do now obviously living overseas may not be for everyone but you know i guess we like to talk to our clients about lifestyle um a lot of people talk about work-life balance but we go the next step it's really about lifestyle um the first step is to get your work-life balance sorted out but then it's it's about lifestyle, not just at the partner level, but for the staff as well. Making sure that they've got flexibility in their work work day, that they're enjoying their job, but also that they've got you know they're not under stress and they they can go and enjoy life outside of work. And I think that's probably one of the biggest issues in the accounting industry that I see is the amount of hours and the expectation that business owners and CEOs and, and partners have on the staff is that, and, and a lot of firms are still, you know, time-based billing. So if you want to get your, your billings up over 90%, you've got to work excessive hours. And I just don't think there's that real balance. Um, and I think that accounting firms that are now starting to offer that and a lot of our clients that have offshore teams are able to, you know, make their local teams now go home on time, the day's finished, go home. Um, but, you know, back five, six years ago, there wouldn't be any accounting firm that would be telling their staff to go and go to the gym or go and see their loved ones. So I think it's a real exactly a right. change. Yeah. And uh, I think the obviously the millennials and, uh, you know, they all want that work-life balance or that lifestyle. So I think we're going to see that evolve and change over time. And I think the old firms where they expect people to be glued to their chairs and just putting in the long hours, I think those days are starting to become numbered. Um, so question, Chris, um, one bit of advice that you would give your younger self if you could in business? Um, probably the lifestyle thing, which we've just spoken about. Um, it, obviously, when you first start off, and look, sometimes it's a necessity too when if you've, you're starting off a business or you've just bought in as a partner or whatever. Um, you, you, you do need to do some hard work early on to, to get the business going or you know get the business in, into shape. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the whole lifestyle discussion that we've just had, really making sure that, as I said, not just work-life balance, um, but 
that you know creating a workplace and a business where you can actually pursue your personal interests and take time off spend time with family whatever it's you know, for me it's travel and all that sort of stuff but whatever it is you're into to really take that next step beyond work-life balance now often that means yeah you you do need to, as you said before, go through some pain in the business with technology, maybe an offshore team, whatever it is, so you can get your business in a position where you are able to step out for a while. Now, whether that's working remotely or maybe cutting down hours, working three days a week, whatever it is, but you need to be able to remove yourself from the business and technology is a big factor. Offshore teams are a massive factor as well. So, look, I think, um, yeah, that, that lifestyle thing early on would have been great but having said that, I'm not sure the technology and the offshoring, you know, that probably wasn't available to me 10 or 15 years ago. So, um, but for everyone out there now, get on it. Get on it. Excellent. So a question around your favourite software or app. What's your favourite uh, software at the moment um, that helps you in your day and why? Jing's the big one. That's J-I-N-G. Um, it's a little bit of software by Screencast and... That is pretty much how we do all our procedure manuals within our practice. Um, so Jing allows you to do five-minute videos um, of screenshots and um, audio over the top, so you can actually capture what you're doing and talk over the top and give instructions. All our procedure manuals are Jing. So the old-style procedure manual of a Word document, screenshots with red arrows and a bit of typing, you throw all that stuff out. Jing allows you to, to basically um, verbally and visually show someone how to do it. And a lot of people when I talk to about Jing, they're a bit apprehensive about the five-minute time zone, time limit on them, but that is better because you don't want a procedure video that goes for an hour and a half because if you just want to look up how to do one little bit, you've got to find the spot in there or if something changes, you've got to reshoot a whole video. Whereas, yeah, that five-minute or less than five-minute time frame is fantastic. So our procedure manuals are effectively a Word document that just have hyperlinks off to them. Step one, hyperlink. Step two, hyperlink off to the videos. Um, and they're there, and people can effectively train themselves by watching the videos. Um, and if you you, know, if you do forget how to do something, you can very quickly go back. So, yeah, Jing's been, been a big one for our practice. Excellent. And what is the biggest objection you've heard about having an offshore team, and is it true? Yeah, I think it's that privacy trust thing, which we spoke about before on the myths. And no, it's not. Um, as I said before, the security that our offshore team have over there is far, far greater than anything we've got here uh, in Australia. And look, the team, they're trustworthy. And, you know, we spend probably the other thing to mention to, to your listeners out there with the training with the Filipino team is to go and spend some time with them and spend time with them regularly. You get to know them, obviously, as people as well as being able to really give some good training on them. But yeah, they, they are, they're just people. They're just trustworthy people. There's no difference than, than hiring someone here. You, you hire someone here, then you and you don't really know them from a bar of soap apart from an interview and, and a resume you've looked at. Um, why would you treat why would you treat your offshore team any any different? So I, I think that's a big myth, um, the, the privacy trust issue. Excellent. Now, last question for you today, Chris. For someone looking to set up an offshore team, what's the best piece of advice you would give them? Uh, just do it. Uh, it is a journey. And there will be a little bit of pain, if you, especially if you've got to make a lot of changes in your practice systems, procedures, software. So there will be that curve. Um, but the sooner you start, the better off. So I think you've just got to make the decision to do it and then really get stuck into the implementation of it. You know, commit to it like we spoke about before and uh, get stuck in and make it happen. 
and just you know, bear in the back of your mind, it is a journey. Um, it won't be perfect from day one. You will get up and running very quickly, but it is an ongoing process to evolve your practice and then end up in a position, as we say, where we've just got two offices and our offshore team is that embedded into our practice. We could not we could not do without them now. We could not pull it apart again. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Chris. We certainly love having you as a client. I think your Vietnam story um, is fascinating uh, and inspiring. So thank you very much for your time today, for coming on the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Um, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.